Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Welcome for the next hour and a half to a program that will look at current events around the world and then bring together at the end of this broadcast how the Bible and the prophetic passages in the Bible helped us to know what was going to happen before it ever happened. That's the whole purpose of Bible prophecy. Glad to have you with us. We have a special edition of Prophecy Today, the Israeli Elections 2019. We'll go to Winky Madad. He'll give us a great analysis as to what takes place next. The first step's done. The people voted. Now they have to form a coalition government. The prime minister, former prime minister, now re-elected prime minister, will have that responsibility. We'll talk with David Dolan about some of the enemies of Israel and what they think about the re-election of Netanyahu. But first, we're going to Ken Timmerman. I'm going to have him explain where he is actually. He is in the area of the nation of Georgia. When somebody told me he's in Georgia, I said, well, no problem. We can call him there. I thought he was talking about in the area of Georgia in the south of the United States. He's not. He's talking about in Europe and what's that location today. So, Ken, can you give us some information as to actually where you are and what you're doing right now? Yeah, Jimmy. Hi. It's good. It's good to be with you. Actually, I'm in Tbilisi, which is the capital of the Republic of Georgia. In fact, it's in Asia. Uh, it's on the other side of the Bosphorus in the Caucasus. And remember, a good part of the country in the north was occupied by the Russians in 2008, and they're still there today. So I'm here doing a human rights case uh, that I'm investigating, and I will probably be writing about it in uh, shortly. Well, that'll be great. We'll look forward to that particular article. I want to talk to you about another article you wrote. We'll do that in a moment. But let me hear from you your thoughts about the re-election of Prime Minister Netanyahu. Well, first, it's a great victory, and uh, uh, you know, it's clear-cut victory. He has a, a 65 to 55 margin in the Knesset with his coalition partners. And I, I believe that the Israeli people, even though they might be fed up with the politician, they might be fed up with the scandals, they, they trust Bibi Netanyahu to bring them security. To uh, Look, for the past several years, he, is, he has essentially been fighting a three-front war with Iran. Uh, the Iranians to the south in Gaza, the Iranians to the north in Hez- with Hezbollah in Lebanon, and the Iranians in Syria. And he's managed to keep them at bay on all three fronts without appeasing the enemies of Israel. That's a pretty uh, major accomplishment, and he's done that without going to war. So I believe that the people of Israel re-elected him because of that accomplishment, because of his stellar diplomacy with Putin in Russia, to, to get Russian acquiescence to Israel's airstrikes on Iranian positions in Syria. And I think all of that combined to uh, make Israelis feel comfortable with him as prime minister and make them uh, really uncomfortable with the alternative of Benny Gantz and his uh, his gaff-prone campaign. You know, I do believe that uh, this historic fifth term is going to help Prime Minister Netanyahu lead the Jewish state into the future and will align itself very closely with the prophetic scenario found in God's Word. We'll talk about that later when we take a look at the book. Well, you're very close to Russia there. Uh, Let me ask you about Vladimir Putin and his benefits from the Israeli-Iranian struggle there in Syria. You're just mentioning how that is one of the fronts that the, the Netanyahu government will have to face. 
Is Vladimir Putin benefiting from all of this? He clearly is benefiting. He is uh, now the man in charge. He is the one who uh, essentially is the kingmaker in Syria. By working with Bibi Netanyahu, he also has a seat at any future table of peace negotiations between Israel and Arabs or Palestinians. This is something that the Russians had not accomplished in the past. So he's really become the key uh, geopolitical uh, player, has much greater influence today than uh, he did 10 years ago. And I think one of the reasons for this is because the Democrats in the U.S. Congress have hobbled President Trump with this phony Russia investigation that we now know is truly phony and no collusion. And they have prevented President Trump from having his own relationship with Putin. So unlike Bibi Netanyahu, who's been able to go repeatedly to Moscow to negotiate directly with Putin and to defend Israel's interests and to get Russian acquiescence so Israel could strike Iranian targets inside Syria, President Trump has not been able to do that because he would be accused by Democrats. So, you know, there are sometimes, I'm going to assume politely for the time that these were unintended consequences to the Democrats' actions, but they are very serious. Uh, We're not going to leave the region, uh, the Middle East, and not going to forget about Vladimir Putin either, because Turkey's Erdogan is going to have a meeting with Putin to see how they can make the operation work effectively with uh, Turkey and Syria there under, as you said, the leadership, the playmaker uh, there, Vladimir Putin. Well, example number two. Now, Turkey, which has been allied to the United States and been a NATO member for decades, they are now being wooed by Russia, turning to Russia, uh, not just politically and diplomatically, but also for weapons. They are talking about buying the S-400 air defense system from Russia. This would be a dramatic development. It would be uh, the act of an enemy of the United States and an enemy of NATO because uh, we have had Patriot missiles and other air defense systems in Turkey. For them to take advanced Russian weaponry is really an outrage to the uh, NATO alliance, something that's never been done before. So it shows that Turkey now also is falling more intensely into the Russian orbit. Additionally, the prime minister of Israel is going to have to deal with Iran. I had an article that I read this week. I want to see what your thoughts are about it. It says, when will Iran's regime finally cave in? Is there a possibility that could happen, and could it be in the near future? Well, things are going very badly for the Iranian regime. Uh, They are suffering from a pretty dramatic push by the United States when it comes to sanctions. Uh, the, The U.S. has been sending out teams of diplomats and Treasury Department officials across the world, including right here to the Republic of Georgia, where I am today, uh, to uh, uh, demonstrate to them what U.S. sanctions mean, what adhering to U.S. sanctions mean. This has caused a decrease of about half of Iran's oil exports. They only have about a, a million barrels a day of exports. They used to have well over two million barrels a day before the U.S. sanctions were put back into place. So this has had a dramatic effect on them. The economy is going down the tubes and they're having problems with getting, you know, just even food for ordinary people. And I think this will have an impact politically inside Iran for sure. We're on Skype with Ken Temmerman and uh, he's in a location so he could get close close to uh, the electronic equipment needed to be able to communicate with us. So if you hear noise in the background, uh, that's understandable. 
What about Vladimir Putin? We're not getting off of Russia, and uh, you're in the region at least, so I want to continue on about Vladimir Putin. Seems like he's trying to reintegrate Islamic State jihadists back into society. Is that going to be successful? And does he have a plan in view as it relates to this operation? Well, good luck on that. Uh, the reports are that there's a particular person in charge of the Russian justice ministry, I believe, trying to rehabilitate uh, several hundred of an estimated four or five thousand jihadi fighters who joined ISIS. Uh, I'm not sure how well that's going to work. Programs that have been done in other countries, such as Britain, have been a terrible failure. I mean, really dramatic failure. There's a recidivism rate of jihadis, al-Qaeda members, released from Guantanamo Bay of well over 40%. In other words, 40% of them have returned to the battlefield to uh, fight the United States and fight the Western alliance. So I really don't have a great deal of hope that those kind of programs are going to work in Russia or anywhere else. Talk to me about the Ukraine and the situation. You have written an article this week. Uh, the prosecutor in the Ukraine reopened the corruption case, which included... Uh, Joe Biden's family, I do believe. And why is there so much attention on the Ukraine? I mean, a lot of uh, the operatives in the Trump campaign were supposedly there in the Ukraine. Why is that happening? This is an extraordinary story, really. And it shows that collusion was the Democrats and Ukraine uh, and, and Hillary Clinton and Russia, not between Trump. The story looks at this federal prosecutor who was looking into a Ukrainian gas company for corruption, opening an investigation. Biden is at that point, as vice president, in charge of U.S. policy towards Ukraine, dispensing billions of dollars in U.S. aid. Biden then goes back to the Ukraine and strong arms the president, fired the prosecutor. I'm going to take away your aid. Just an extraordinary story. This could come back to a new prosecutor has reopened this case and he has exploded into actions of Hunter Biden, son of the former vice president. And when we were covering the situation right after the president came to power, Donald Trump went to Saudi Arabia to meet with the leaders of all the Arab countries and, in fact, some of the Islamic countries as well. There was a discussion at that time, a conversation about an Arab NATO, a similar organization as is in Europe. That seems it's going to bring an alignment of Arab states focused on one thing, joining together with one purpose, and always the purpose has been Israel. Do you think that would be the outcome of this Arab NATO? Here is how the region has changed over the past five to six years. The, uh, the, the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, Kuwaitis, the Emirates, no longer feel threatened by Israel, but do feel threatened by the Islamic State of Iran. They're worried about their ballistic missile programs. They're worried about Iran's tendency to throw its weight around and to send troops uh, all over the region to try to dominate the region. Uh, and of course, Iran is deeply uh, involved in the Syrian war as well. This is a, a pretty amazing thing that is developing where you have this Arab NATO. It's, it's just beginning. There were meetings this past week with the United States. We are partners in this. It, it's quite extraordinary. They have identified their true enemy, and it is not Israel. Well, who would it then be? Iran, that's what they're looking at, right? Uh, oh, absolutely. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us, and he's in Georgia, not the state of Georgia in the United States, but the country of Georgia uh, there in the Europe, almost into Asia. Ken, thank you so very much. We'll have another conversation next week. Always a pleasure, Jimmy. Thank you. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by. It's a Middle East news update. That's all ahead here on Prophecy Today. 
In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today, this special edition of Prophecy Today, the Israeli Elections 2019. Now we're going to go to David Dolan in a moment. He gives us each and every week a Middle East news update. And so he's going to be prime as it relates to the elections. We'll get comments from him. But also, what about some of the enemies, like Jordan, like the Palestinians? What are they thinking about that? And then we'll go to Winky Medad in just a moment and a deeper analysis and how the procedure will work. The people have voted, but then comes the building of a coalition and the forming of a government. That'll be Winky Madat after David Dolan. Let's go to David right now. A fifth historic term, David. I mean, you and I have both been there. I can remember the first election I covered on Netanyahu is when he was running against Shimon Perez. We were there at the election headquarters. Uh, the election had been called, and Shimon Perez was the winner. We went home, went to bed, woke up in the morning. The radio said Netanyahu had won. This guy is a magician. He can pull anything out of a hat, can't he? <laughs> well, it seems to be the case, Jimmy, because we had Benny Gantz, the leader of the new Blue-White Party, claiming victory uh, right after the election. Elections ended at uh, 10 in the evening on Tuesday. The first exit poll from Channel 12 showed his party would triumph, would come out with the largest number of seats. It still didn't show that the similar left-center parties would gain a majority, so why he thought he would be prime minister was a question, but everybody was dancing and celebrating. And by 2 in the morning, uh, four hours later, it was clear 
that Bibi Netanyahu would again be prime minister, as you say, for a historic fifth term. And, Jimmy, I was working for CBS in November of 1988, November 1st. They assigned me down to Tel Aviv, to the Likud Party headquarters, where a brand-new Likud Party member named Benjamin Netanyahu was running on the list and was elected that evening. And I and three or four other English-speaking journalists went over to him and interviewed him. And he was extremely eloquent. He was bright. He was already uh, Israel's U.N. ambassador, so he was known to all of us. And, of course, uh, spent many years in the United States, so has fluent English as well as fluent Hebrew. And I said to two of my colleagues afterwards, this man is going to be a leader of Israel. He will lead the country one day and will be a great leader, I said, I thought. Of course, eight years later, as you said, uh, in 1996, he was elected. Surprise, surprise, prime minister, not uh, the opposition. But overall, the right wing, 65 seats to 55 for the left. So it was pretty clear to me and others that uh, Netanyahu would probably again be prime minister, but that's now certain. And uh, indeed, he's pulled it out of the hat, and the majority of Israelis uh, seem satisfied with that. Of course, he's facing indictments and some other things during the coming months, but he will remain Israel's leader for now, and that is uh, pleasing to a good number of Israelis. Well, it's interesting, your first reaction when you first met him as a member of the Knesset, newly elected there at that election uh, back in the 80s, and your reaction was, he's going to be a leader. I had the same reaction when I met him as well, and he's been amazing, holding that position as prime minister the longest so far in the history of the modern-day state of Israel, but now an historic fifth term. Well, what's the response from the Palestinians, David? Uh, I'm not sure that they wanted Netanyahu to be re-elected, did they? They didn't, but they weren't real thrilled with Benny Gantz. Although we say he's center-left, he's certainly far more right-wing than the Palestinians would like to see. A former military commander, Armed Forces Chief of Staff, he was involved very much in the Gaza War in 2014. He is uh, not welcomed by them, but they thought he was more moderate and would more likely take positions that they support than Netanyahu. And, of course, Netanyahu's announcement just before the election, uh, not announcement, but in an interview where he stated that he would hold on to all Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria and not let even the small, more isolated ones be evacuated, as earlier peace plans have always insisted upon, and the new peace plan from President Trump probably will as well. But he said, no, we're going to hold on to every Jewish community, defend it, and uh, remain there, and we are the sovereign force in Judea and Samaria. So that, of course, is a position the Palestinians very much oppose. They want a state there. Um, Sai Barakat and other uh, Palestinian leaders after Netanyahu's victory came out and did condemn it and said, you know, he's a, he's a right-wing rabble-rouser and he's just going to create more problems in the area. So they're not thrilled, but um, that was to be expected. They really don't support uh, most Israeli parties, even the center-left ones. They're far, further to the left, and they'll remain that way, Jimmy. It's just a case... And the turnout was less than 50% of the Arab-Israeli voters. Less than 50% even went to the polls, 
And as I said, they just ended up with six seats in the Knesset, the Arab party, so not very much. King Abdullah, who is king of Jordan, did not have much to say about the election. But other major politicians over in Jordan were hoping that Netanyahu would lose. Why was that the case? Well, Jimmy, the Muslim Brotherhood has been gaining strength all along in Jordan, and there's increasing speculation in Israel and by other Middle East analysts that the Abdullah reign is in danger, that uh, Muslim fundamentalists do want to take over Jordan very, very much. Prophetically, you and I know that that's probably going to occur, Jordan being listed in Psalm 83 as one of the uh, conspirators against Israel in the end times. Right now, there's still a peace treaty. Abdullah knows that uh, the majority of his people who are of Palestinian descent do not like Netanyahu at all and don't like his policies and uh, don't like the peace treaty. So he went very lightly on that. But the other parties in Jordan were very vocal in their opposition against Netanyahu and uh, expected the responses from the Arab world. Nothing very surprising. Does the Netanyahu re-election, David, actually mean the end of a two-state solution and possibly the annexation and sovereignty over Judea and Samaria for Israel? Well, it may, Jimmy. A lot will depend on what uh, President Trump's uh, deal of the century that he's calling it uh, contains. And, of course, he pledged to hold that tightly to his chest until after a new government is formed. It does look like Netanyahu will be able to form a government fairly quickly, although each of the small parties that he needs to join with them will have their demands, and uh, it will be haggling, it always is. But within a month or so, we should have a new government. Then this peace treaty will be revealed sometime in May or June, we're hearing, and we'll see what it says. But um, certainly Netanyahu and his allies, who are in the government, for the most part, almost all of them, do want to see an annexation of the Judea and Samaria, at least the parts where uh, Jews are living. And uh, we'll just see. But the two-state solution, Jimmy, that's been on the table how many decades now? And uh, it was uh, central to the 1993 peace treaty. Uh, that fell apart. It hasn't gone anywhere anyway, so this is an indication that uh, it's probably not going to do so in the future as well. Well, the world, like the United Nations, European Union, Russia, allow Netanyahu to annex Judea and Samaria and take sovereignty over it. Well, Jimmy, Israel annexed the Golan Heights formally in 1981. The world rejected that, but they are still there. They still control it on the ground. The reality is it is part of Israel, whether anyone recognizes it or not. And so I think um, Netanyahu's thinking the same thing. We will just uh, announce uh, uh, that our sovereignty is over the Jewish areas, Jewish communities in uh, Judea and Samaria, and that's it. So whether anybody else, even the U.S., the U.S. probably wouldn't recognize that. And so really nothing on the ground will change, Jimmy. It's uh, just declarations, frankly, and uh, we'll see. The only thing that will change uh, anything on the ground is a major war, uh, the chances of that seem to have gone down quite a bit now since Netanyahu met with Vladimir Putin, and Putin basically endorsed Netanyahu as Israel's leader in effect and gave him some concessions and is working with him on uh, details of how Israel can continue to operate against Iran in Syria. That seems to have uh, tampered down Iran, as I said last week. We have had a much quieter situation around the Gaza Strip. So we may just get through this period with no activity. But, of course, 
the U.S. declaration of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards last Monday as a terrorist organization caused Iran to say now the U.S. is our main enemy. So it doesn't mean we won't have war. And if we do have war, things always change on the ground. But if, they, if there is another war, I believe that there will be. Israel will uh, win it and will get more territory, as they did in 67, than less. They won't lose the Golan, they won't lose Judea and Samaria, they will gain more territory. And the Arabs should know from past wars, and the Iranians as well, that that's probably the case. That's the voice of David Dolan. He's the man who brings us the latest from a key region of the world as it relates to the future in Bible prophecy. David Dolan covering the Middle East, and in particular Israel, and, of course, the most recent elections. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Winky Madad will go in-depth, helping us to understand how Prime Minister Netanyahu will once again become the Prime Minister. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. This is a special edition of Prophecy Today, Israeli Elections 2019. Quite interesting development as we see Likud come to the top. Uh, There was some question as to whether that was going to happen. So we go to the man who knows the political arena in Israel probably better than anybody else. That's our broadcast partner, Winky Madad. Winky, the first step in the election process is over. On last Tuesday, the people went to the polls to vote, and it looks like that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu is going to have a fifth historic term. I mean, he's the longest reigning Prime Minister of Israel already, but he's going in even to extend that. Uh, Do you think this was the way it was supposed to go or did you think it, he, he brought it back from almost disaster? Well, I would go with your second uh, choice. It really was looking bad in the sense that a new party had arisen almost out of nowhere, to be truthful. And within three months or so, now that we know the final results, managed to pull an unprecedented over 30 seats, which is over a million Israelis. So the the challenge was real. It it was not something that was fake in terms of him simply driving his people to vote. But he did manage to overcome some very bad handicaps. First of all, the fact that in the press he is looked upon with extreme negativism. Secondly, 
He has several possible criminal court cases coming up if he can't pull them out, and he was being blamed for personal crimes or possible crimes. And uh, the fact that, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago, Hamas was always in the background. I mean, if they really heated up the situation, he could have lost the uh, aspect of, uh, is he Mr. Security? Is he defending Israel properly? Well, you know the prime minister very well. Do you think he was truly satisfied or he said, oh, wow, that was close? Uh, No, I I, I do know Bibi, and he knows me. (laughs) And I think that he felt completely in control of how his campaign was moving from strategy to video clips to literally, I would say, exploiting social media platforms, putting people out in the field to get the vote out. I think it was very well planned, and I think he knew what he was doing. Unfortunately, quite possibly, we have some parties that could have passed the threshold, and we're not going to go over that again, the minimum threshold to get into the parliament. And so his coalition partners is something to be deliberated about for the next two weeks or so. A couple of friends of mine in the past, both of them have passed now from the scene, Moshe Ahrens and Morty Delinsky were involved in trying to put Netanyahu in place when they brought him on board, sent him to the United Nations to become the ambassador from Israel to the United Nations, which actually really started his electoral life and uh, the fact that he's an expert. He's he's an, a genius from a IQ perspective, but he's a genius in the political arena, isn't he? He is. Uh, he's done this now several times, pulling elections back from the edge of, uh, you know, from the jaws of defeat. Many people on the left, uh, which has a very strong presence here in Israel in terms of the media and the political life. It's been shown, of course, by the results that almost two-thirds of the population voted from BB to the right, including the religious parties, who, who said straight out at the beginning, they're not going with uh, the uh, Gantz, Lapid, Blue and White the party. So uh, I know the New York Times and other newspapers keep on uh, expressing their sorrow that Israel is, is not doing what they think it should be doing. Mm. But actually, we have a very democratic country, Jimmy, and you know very well uh, knowledgeable about things around the world. And they, they have consistently made a decision to vote for a Likud-led government coalition, which is called religious, national, liberal, uh, in terms of economy, political program, and that's what the people want. Now the next step is President Rivlin, who really is a figurehead position, but the only important role that he has is now to name one of the leading vote-getters as it relates to the election to try to form a coalition government that goes without saying it's going to be Bibby, is it not? Yes, that, that, but, first of all, yes, but if he wants to play around, he could bring up questions, and this year, Jimmy, uh, unlike in previous years, the president has said he's going to broadcast, or at least film, or allow the media to film his meetings with the various heads of the factions, which has never been done before. And when politicians are off camera, they can say things a little bit more comfortably than on camera. And he just, I can give you a scenario. He said, well, 
why don't the two big parties make a unity government? We've had unity governments in the past, 1967, 1970, 1984, 1988. So why not again? And this could stir up the pot, as we say, unnecessarily. But we expect anything for President Rivlin. He's a very independent person himself. And he doesn't get along the best with Mr. Netanyahu, even though they're basically from the same party. But that's what politics do to people. Winky, which way do you think he'll go? Will he try to form a unity government or go right-wing government? No, he's going to go right-wing. His only problem is a balancing act. For example, you have a, a Vigdor Lieberman from the Russian party who doesn't, or who wants, I should say, the uh, ultra-Orthodox to be more in the army. Uh, he wants a draft for them. They demand, no, we want our ability to stay out of the army and to maintain our normal way of life, and these things could cause conflict. And we can't forget, since I'm talking to someone from the United States, that American Jewry and those who admire Israel among the non-Jews are also looking and seeing what the situation is at certain flashpoints, shall we say, at the Western Wall or a conversion or more openness to non-Jews who are living in the country. So all these issues, and this is now, among other big things like defense, security, diplomacy, and economics, we'll have to deal with in this coalition. You think there's going to be a strong Israeli government led by Netanyahu this time? Is it going to go the four years, or will they try to bring him down soon? From his point of view, I think he will succeed if he wants to. He almost managed this last time to go all four years, except for the fact that I mentioned earlier the criminal probes into his supposed activity that could be illegal. Uh, we do not know. Uh, it'll probably be probably after the summer that he'll finally have to deal with it in the most direct fashion, and then there'll be pressure on him to resign if an indictment is brought, even though the law technically does not demand that. Uh, but here in Israel, if you cry loud enough in the press, someone's going to have to feel he has to do something. I imagine that Iran's going to still be the number one threat and the problem he'll have to deal with. But also, he made a promise about annexing the settlements, the Jewish communities out there in Judea and Samaria, and taking sovereignty over them for the Israeli government. Those are going to be two big chores that he's going to try to pull together. Would you agree? I would agree. I think with help with, with President Trump, we're dealing as best we can at the present moment with Iran, with the listing of the Iranian uh, guards uh, as a terror organization, because they export terror all around the world. Uh, as for the issue of what's going to happen in the sense of the status of Judea and Samaria, I would think that Mr. Nyaho meant to extend as much as possible Israeli law to the people, the, the Israeli citizens living here, and avoid the issue of actually dealing with territory or, or holding it over the heads of the Arabs until they answer, hopefully in a negative fashion, to President Trump's plan of the century. That's all upcoming, and we'll stay on top of how Netanyahu brings his government together, what the main problems are in the future, and, of course, Trump peace plan. It's on the horizon. We'll do all of that with our broadcast partner and good buddy, Winky Madad. Winky, thank you so much. Your analysis is always key for our listeners. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much, Jimmy, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important and informative conversation with Winky Medad. 
He knows politics in Israel. He gave us a great explanation of how we will ultimately come to re-electing Prime Minister Netanyahu as the next Prime Minister and historic fifth term. The people got their say, and now the coalition coming together, the forming of this coalition government taking place, Winky, with excellent information. Well, we're going from the Middle East now to the European Union. Our broadcast partner there, John Rood. And John, let me just begin, John, with what was the reaction from the European Union as it relates to the re-election of Prime Minister Netanyahu? That's a very good insight to be aware of. It's not something that's necessarily in the headlines, so it's good to be able to cover it. There were actually eight foreign leaders that called personally Prime Minister Netanyahu to congratulate him, even though it's not customary to do this necessarily until a government is formed. So it's the Austrian Chancellor Kurtz, Hungarian Prime Minister Orban, the president of Cyprus, and also the president of Bulgaria, all called personally. And so, of course, these are some of the Eastern European countries which have shown more solidarity with Israel in these last years. And then in addition to that, we have tweets that have been done from leaders of Lithuania, Czech Republic, and Italy. So there appears to be good amount of solidarity upon the re-election coming from who we would expect in the European Union. And others, of course, not really excited because of, well, a statement I guess they made last week after President Trump declared that uh, the Golan Heights would be under the sovereignty of the state of Israel, and he sets the pace, basically, for those events to be accepted around the world. And now the prime minister, just prior to the election, making statements about Maybe the same type of activity taking place on Judea and Samaria, some refer to it as the West Bank, but giving sovereignty to Israel over that heartland of the Jewish state, Judea and Samaria. EU in total weren't very excited about that, but uh, they are saying, at least a, a good number of them, that they're happy the Prime Minister will continue on and give some stability there in the Middle East. These particular countries which have expressed congratulations are countries which see themselves somewhat in opposition to the normal EU hierarchy that's formed. They have been quiet in this instance. So it appears to be more of a distinction between, as we always refer to, the cracks and fissures of the European Union, some being pro-United States, some being anti, some being pro-Israel, some being anti. So it's a continuation of that, making this more distinct. And uh, somewhat a picture of the entire world, basically. Some in favor of the U.S. and Israel, some against, and we'll continue to see that unfolding. Well, we got to go back to Brexit. looks like the U.K. and European Union have agreed on a delay as long as up to and including October the 31st. Is that correct? And what are they going to try to do? Well, as expected, we have an extension. The president of the commission was looking for up to a one-year extension. And uh, as we've covered in, in previous broadcasts as well, we see now it was the intervention of French President Macron that uh, came through for a shorter extension. So now we have the United Kingdom 
still is in the same situation. They have to come up with a deal. Can that be done? If it's done before June 1st, then they will not participate in the European elections for the parliament. But, of course, all that has to be prepared. So it appears very strongly that they will go through the elections, which will add to the upheaval of these monumental elections that are happening in the European Parliament. How important are those elections, John? Well, the European Parliament is the only institution of the European Union that has some guise of democracy. And so now that there's such strong Eurosceptic forces in many of these countries, this is really the only place in the European Union they're able to express themselves. We see up to one-third of the members will be Eurosceptic, some actually desiring for their nation to leave the European Union. So it's really a crisis. I sent you an article entitled, it was, I think, from Time magazine, if I remember correctly, The Roman Empire to Brexit was the title of it, and that Britain has always struggled to really define its relationship with Europe. Uh, Can you give us uh, just a perusal report on what that was saying? I mean, it's interesting, uh, going all the way back to the Roman Empire and the fact that the European Union may well be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Yes, I always perk up when I see references to the Roman Empire and today's European Union. There's always been struggles. We have the Roman invasion, of course, which incidentally was never Ireland and never Scotland. Uh, It was actually the Roman Emperor Hadrian that built a wall coast to coast to keep the Scots out. They were not interested in facing them. We have a period of time where England is getting its identity through the Reformation, of course. There was fissures there with Rome. Then we have the rise of the British Empire. That has been at a peak in the early 1900s, which was one-fourth of all the land on Earth. And so the British Empire, uh, of course, was not looking to form a unified European continent. Then, of course, we have the situation with Napoleon, And incidentally, there was a quote here that I was not aware of, and I really searched for these things. It said Napoleon in 1805 wanted to create, quote, a European legal system, a European appeal court, a common currency, the same weights, measures, and the same laws. So you can see back from Napoleon's time, there was still this spirit to unify Europe, and the United Kingdom as a whole has shown that they're at odds with that particular movement, which has been surfacing through many, many centuries. And indeed, we know, we read the last chapter, it's going to come into effect with the revival of the old Roman Empire. Thank you, John. appreciate your helping us today understand how key the European Union is into the world scene today and the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. We'll talk again next week. Well, thank you, Jimmy, and thank you for all your effort to get the news out. John Rood with an update on the European Union and Brexit changing from day to day. When you catch us talking about it, it's only a snapshot of what was happening that particular day. Now we go to Don DeYoung. Dr. DeYoung is a scientist. He's an astronomer, 
And Don, last night as I was walking, uh, you've introduced me to a brand new hobby, that's stargazing, with your book especially helpful in that area. I was walking and looking up at the stars and the moon, and then I remembered what I'd read earlier in the day, that the black hole that they now have a photograph of is larger than our entire galaxy, the Milky Way. That is an awesome thought, and it's unbelievable we now have this photo, is it not? Well, yes. You know, the idea of black holes has been around for a long time, very difficult to verify. But uh, in recent days, and with these photographs, strong evidence for such things. What is actually, can you give us a simple person's definition of a black hole? Well, certainly. Uh, a black hole is a, an object in space with extremely high gravity. One way we think you can form those is to have a star which um, collapses upon itself and kind of revs up the gravity in its vicinity. So uh, as far as we can tell, what they are is the end of a star. They're, they're really um, dead, collapsed stars. And I noticed that it had kind of a a red-colored ring around it. That would be those items that are actually moving into the black hole, most likely? Well, yes. Actually, it gets a little bit tricky, Jimmy. A black hole itself is invisible. Even light could not escape, so there's no way to get a picture of it. And furthermore, the, the news this week that they've captured this, they're not using visible light. They're actually using radio waves. Hmm. And so those pictures you see of the ring with black in the middle, those have been color enhanced. Now, they're real, but it's just not in the visible range. The black hole itself, somewhere in the center of that darkness in that photograph, and then the light around the edge is actually a starlight behind the black hole, and so the black hole looks like a silhouette in the center because it's invisible. Well, we said it's not in our galaxy. In fact, it could swallow up. It's larger than our entire galaxy, which would be the Milky Way. How far away is it? Do we have any idea? Well, this black hole is actually in another galaxy. They go by numbers, and it's called M87. And uh, that particular galaxy is about 55 million light years away. Mm. Uh, a light year being six trillion miles, but of course in the vastness of space, that's looked at really as one of the uh, nearer galaxies. So 50, 55 million light years away, and again, the black hole seems to be in the center of that galaxy. What is the potential for the scientist, for you as an astronomer, to be able to learn from this information? Well, it certainly shows us, Jimmy, that gravity this invisible force that holds us on the ground, it uh, protects us, it's, it's universal. It's everywhere, even out there in other galaxies and the edge. It's a universe. It's, there's unity, the way God put it together. Furthermore, these black holes, I think, are just a good indication of endless variety in creation. Along with uh, those objects, there are bizarre stars, there are red giants and white dwarfs, just endless creativity that God has put out there. And maybe also the bottom line, uh, since these black holes are collapsed stars, it's a good reminder to us that um, creation is over with. We don't have new creation going on. Instead, there's, there's a rundown. There's a gradual wearing down, wearing away of our current physical universe. 
You know, I was just getting ready to ask you what would be the practicality of this information for each and every one of us, and it's the proof of God's created activities. That would be an absolute proof, would it not be? Well, it certainly is, and the finding is exciting if, you know, when one is interested in astronomy and physics, just the detail of it. Creation is not simple. And black holes are fascinating objects, and who knows, there are probably even things more strange, more exotic out there that we haven't even thought of yet. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going out to walk again tonight. Hope the sky is clear so I can just contemplate all that God has done. Don, thank you so very much for giving us insight. This was top news this week, the photograph of uh, a black hole, and you explained how that was done. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Till next time. Very interesting conversation with Dr. Don DeYoung and the phenomenon of the scientist of this world being able to take a photograph of the entrance to a black hole. Well, let's go now to Dr. Elwood McQuaid. Dr. McQuaid was the director of Friends of Israel, an outstanding missionary organization. He was their chief editor for their magazine, Israel My Glory. And a dear friend, as I announced last week at the beginning of our broadcast, a dear friend of both Elwood and myself, Dr. Reynolds Showers, or affectionately known as Rennie Showers, has gone home to be with the Lord. It's a sad time for me because I enjoyed the telephone conversations and the face-to-face conversations that Rennie and I had when I ran into a difficult passage of Scripture that basically I needed to have a simple understanding of When I would call Rennie, he would be there ready to give me that simple understanding of difficult passages. Elwood, I just would wonder how you feel about the homegoing of our dear friend. Jimmy, I share your view, your sorrow, because this is a great loss. Uh, Rennie Showers was, of course, a foremost theologian in the biblical sense. Uh, He could answer in simple terms those questions that were difficult for even those of us who had been in the ministry for a long time. But, you know, the thing that I is constantly on my mind is, as Rennie has passed, and I've been thinking about this, is his attractiveness to people beyond his theological views. He was tenacious in his theology, as you well know, but he had a dimension to his life that was almost contagious in that it was often my observation that in so many conferences with him across the span of uh, some 30 years, it was not unusual for after the conference was over, he did not leave immediately, people would gather around, he would sit for a, a long, long time discussing with them and answering their questions. And so it was not only that he touched their minds, but he also touched their lives, and that's a rare quality for a man as competent in theology as Rennie Showers. You know, that's a great thought. Touch their minds, but dearly was able to touch their lives as well. I, I like that. That is what I would echo as well. You hired Rennie Showers to join the staff of Friends of Israel, where he wrote, he spoke, he led Friends of Israel in a clear direction because, as you mentioned, he was a great theologian, and he could keep almost anybody on track, couldn't he? Yes, yes, he could. My first decisions uh, after I came became executive director of the FOI was to get Rennie Showers on board because 
I knew uh, what he brought, the dimension he brought to our ministry, how he could reach out, and in a very critical way to communicate what we were trying to say to the world. Rennie did that, and he did it spectacularly. You know, he wrote a lot of books on eschatology. I have every one of them in my library. I've read each and every one of them several times to make sure I'm right on track. Those are still available, and of course, they could be purchased right there at Friends of Israel, could they not? Oh, yes, they can. Many of his books were considered, what on earth is God doing, for example? The history of God's dealing with mankind and the issues that people are perplexed by as they study these. This was a landmark work by Rennie Showers, and of course it's just an extension of all of the things that he wrote on angels, on the eschatology, on the second coming, on all these things that are treasured memories of a great, great man. Great, great man. That says it just about as best anyone could ever say it, Elwood. He's going to be missed. I'll miss him. You'll miss him. Uh, Many, many people across this world will miss him. Elwood, thank you for sharing with us about your good friend and partner in ministry as well, Dr. Rennie Showers. Yes. Thank you, Jimmy. Again, pray for the family of Dr. Rennie Showers, Ellie, his wife, and the two daughters, that God will give them comfort in this very sad time. Looking forward to seeing Rennie up there in the heavenlies. Well, we're going to have to take a break right now. We have another conversation with David James, and we're going to focus on an issue the body of Christ needs to understand. That's all ahead in our last half hour, right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our last half hour. Uh, David James is standing by. We're going to be talking about the culture wars. They're increasing in intensity as it relates to Christians and the Christians endeavoring to take a stand on God's holy word. You do not want to miss that conversation. And I want you to go answer our poll question as well. Do it after the broadcast, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the home page, on the left-hand side, if you will scroll down, you'll find the poll question. Here's the question on this special edition of Prophecy Today, Israeli Elections 2019. Now, here's the poll question. Do you believe that the re-election of Prime Minister Netanyahu in Israel will continue to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. That's what I do believe is going to take place because God does use human world leaders, leaders of nations like Israel, like the prime minister, to set in place a scenario for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Be sure to answer our poll question, if you will. And while you're at the website, you might want to find out about our tours to Israel. I do believe we have six or eight different tours this year. You need to come and go along with us as we go into the lands of the Bible. We go to Israel, we go to Jordan, and some of the tours, we go to Turkey and visit the seven churches, and then over to Rome 
where the revived Roman Empire and the false church will come into play. Be a great opportunity for you to go to the land of the Bible with us. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. Go to Joshua Travel. You can find out all the information about our tours. We now bring to these microphones David James, and we're going to have a discussion, our weekly conversation, dealing with an issue that the body of Christ, the church, we as Christians must have a biblical understanding of. This time, the cultural wars increasing intensity as Christians try to hold on and take their stand. That's what we'll be talking about in a moment, but first, David... As we catch up with you, you're getting ready to go out on another international ministry trip, this time to the Ukraine and into Eastern Europe. That's right. It's a trip I make every year. In fact, it'll be the second time in about six months that I've been in Ukraine. This time I'll be teaching signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement, something that is very important not only in Ukraine uh, but around the world. And I'll be joining the great team there with Word of Life. They have a great facility and I really enjoy my time with them. And they're actually the Word of Life Bible Institute for the Slavic-speaking world. So they'll have students from all over. They have students not only from Ukraine, but from many Russian-speaking countries in the region. You know, we don't often use the term culture wars, which I did in the introduction. And we don't use that term on this program, but we're actually discussing this issue almost each and every week. And David, I have to believe that the conflict continues to intensify. I would agree with you. A number of years ago, John MacArthur wrote a book on this very issue, Culture Wars. And as we observe each week, as you and I keep our eyes on the headlines of what are coming out and try to do cutting-edge work on uh, topics that are breaking almost each and every week, what we see is that the attack on Christianity in general, biblical truth, is something that is happening not only here in the United States, but worldwide. In some places, it takes the form of uh, direct persecution of Christians in very anti-Christian environments, such as North Korea, China, Iran, and other places uh, like northern India, for example, where Christians are actually daily under the threat for their very lives simply because they name the name of Jesus. But in other places, for example, here in the West, it may not take that form of absolute persecution in terms of physical harm. There is certainly a social and cultural component to that, where the Word of God comes under attack daily, and also Christians who believe that the Bible is the Word of God, as you and I and most of our listeners do, we fall under mocking and various forms of even discrimination and being marginalized by the culture, and now it's rising to the level of entering into even the laws that are being put into place in places like the United States, Canada, Great Britain, and Western Europe, where Christian values are really coming under scrutiny, and and many of the things that we believe are slowly but surely becoming illegal. And, and I would also uh, point out to our listeners that you're getting ready, um, to my knowledge, you're getting ready to start a project on this in, on this specific uh, topic of the cultural wars, and I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I thank you very much for that, David. I am working on a series, and it may even become one of our video projects in the near future. But it's going to be entitled Prophecy and Cultural Wars. Now, my 
long suit is the prophetic truth of God's word, but as you say, it's becoming more and more prevalent and intensifying in our world, and the body of Christ is having to stand up against those warriors on the other side. The text I'm going to be using will be Second Timothy chapters 3 and 4. This is actually Paul's swan song, his last book. He gives us a great exhortation to look at the prophecies that will pertain basically to the cultural war activity. That's in the beginning of chapter 3. And then you see the power of God, the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture given by inspiration of God. We'll talk about the preaching, and in chapter 4, Paul exhorts us to preach the Word in season and out of season. And finally, he talks about the prize, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. In verse 7 of 2 Timothy 4, he said, I've run the race, fought the fight, kept the faith, and laid up for me is a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, for all who expect, who eagerly await the rapture of the church. And I think that's centerfold in what we as Christians need to understand in these days. We have to realize we're in a battle. It is a war, and we need to deal with it from the Scriptures, which is what we do right here on this broadcast when we have our conversation. David, the first thing I would like for you to discuss are the attacks by the mayor of South Bend against Vice President Mike Pence because of his views on sex, marriage, and the Christian family in general. Well, it certainly has been an all-out frontal assault on Vice President Mike Pence. The South Bend mayor, Pete Buttigieg, claims to be a Christian. He claims to be a devout Christian. He grew up Catholic. He is presently converted to the Episcopal Church, and he says his faith has been a strong influence on him, and in fact, he has made statements that his marriage to his male partner, which we would not consider a marriage at all biblically, but his relationship with his male partner, he says, has had a profound influence on him and has drawn him closer to God. He's the first openly gay municipal executive in all of Indiana. And he made a statement just in uh, the last number of days This is a quote from him. I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand that if you have a problem with who I am, your quarrel is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. And then Mike Pence and his uh, office responded. He has said that Mayor Pete Buttigieg knows better. This is what Mike Pence said. He knows better and that has had a relationship with this man, and he knows that Mike Pence is a man who is of upstanding character. So this is unfortunate and unnecessary by someone who has now jumped into the presidential race for 2020. You know, one of the things that the vice president has been most often mocked about are his convictions concerning his refusal to be alone with women who are not his wife. That's true. Even back as far as the early days, long before the presidential race got into full swing, the presidential race of 2016, the Indianapolis Star noted in one of their articles, they said during his 12 years in Congress, Pence had rules to avoid any infidelity temptations or even rumors of impropriety. Those included requiring that any aide who had to work late 
to assist him be male, and he also had the rule of never dining alone with a woman other than his wife and not to attend any event where alcohol is served unless his wife Karen was there with him. And then when he became vice president, The View, which is a daily talk show, Joy Behar actually mocked him for having this personal uh, conviction of not having alone time with women, and then later she apologized to him for some very poor remarks that she made about him. And actually, um, Word of Life, a ministry that I was with for 21 years, actually also had this personal policy of men and women not being alone together without a third party, and it's simply a matter of protection. It's not a, it's not a matter of foolishness or anything like that. It's a matter of wisdom to try to maintain purity uh, as we would understand the Bible would expect of us. David, another area of one of the most intense aspects of the culture wars is the issue of abortion. And that has definitely come to the forefront of the national consciousness with the new movie Unplanned. That's true. I went to see the movie on Wednesday evening. I just have to tell you and our listeners, for those who have not yet seen it, every believer, even every non-believer should see it. Anyone who has a question about the abortion issue, whether we're talking about the murder of an unborn child, uh, if that is a question in their mind, they should go see it. And for those of us who believe that it is murder, we should also go see it because it was a motivation. Honestly, it was a motivation to me. I was sitting there thinking, what can I do to be involved in helping more to bring attention to this issue and to stand against this horrible national it's a, it's, a, it's a national policy issue where we as a nation are advocating for the murder of children. We become humans at the moment of conception. And I have to tell you, I found myself at the point of tears more than one time uh, during this movie. It is very powerful, and it brings to light the fact that this woman who was the director of a Planned Parenthood facility, when she had to go into an operating room and actually see this fetus being destroyed on the ultrasound and being sucked out of this mother's womb, and I know that's graphic, but it is graphic, and it involves the life and death of a child. You know, there has been some concern raised about the movie because of some of those involved with its production. How would you evaluate those criticisms in light of the overall impact of the movie? I have seen some of those criticisms by people who note that there are those involved with the New Apostolic Reformation and the Charismatic Church, Bethel Church out on the West Coast, and have it, and the influence that they had on the movie. But I have to say, since I knew that ahead of time, I was watching for that in the movie, and I would say that that impact is minimal, and that the message of the movie far outweighs any of the potential criticism of those who are involved with that we would disagree with views that are unbiblical, but in this case, I would say that the importance of this movie uh, outweighs any of that, and that influence was really not perceptible in the movie to me. I guess the bottom line is that cultural wars have always existed since believers are in the world, but not of the world, and I would imagine we can expect things to even get worse from here. Would you not agree, David? 
I would say that's absolutely true. I could just give several passages that indicate that. Second Timothy 3.12 says that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. John, in John 15.18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter, in 2 Peter 4, says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trial, which, uh, when it comes upon you to test you as though it were something strange that was happening to you. And then Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, Love your enemies and pray for those who, pers- who persecute you. And that should be our stance in this world. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And we look forward to the time when Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning in righteousness. Great statement there. We are in the world, but not of the world. That's a biblical principle. David, thank you so much for your research, for the time you had to take to see the movie. I'm now going to make it an absolute priority for me personally to go see the movie as well. And again, we recommend that to our listeners out there listening to Prophecy Today. Appreciate uh, this conversation, David. We'll have another one next week on another issue. Thanks so much, and then it will be from Ukraine, Lord willing. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'm going to take a look at the book, pull all the broadcast partners' thoughts together, and see what God's Word sheds light on these events as preparation for the rapture of the church. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today, a special edition of Prophecy Today 
Israeli Elections 2019. All of our broadcast partners gave reports that included thoughts from around the world on this historic fifth term for Prime Minister Netanyahu to serve in that position. This election is indeed tangible evidence of the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. The Jews are in the land which has been reclaimed. They're there and they have formed a nation, which is key. It's in place. These elections, tangible evidence of that. And all of this, by the way, was foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets. Well, our broadcast partners today had special reports, significant reports, that will help you to better understand what I am talking about. By the way, if you had to miss any of our broadcasters' reports, why don't you go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you'll be able to listen to any and all of my broadcast partner's reports on the activities, events happening around the world that may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. For example, we talked with Ken Timmerman. He was not in the state of Georgia, but in the nation of Georgia, which is located in Europe and some part of it in Asia. He's there on a special assignment. He gave us his reaction to the re-election of the Prime Minister of Israel, but also he brought to our attention how Vladimir Putin is benefiting for the Israeli struggle with the Iranians in Syria, and how President Putin is basically the king player. He's setting up and helping them to make decisions on both sides of the fence. Russia is going to be ultimately that leader of the coalition of nations that will turn against the Jewish state of Israel. Political decisions that are made by all three of the leaders, Putin of Russia, Netanyahu of Israel, and Rouhani of Iran. All of these decisions will set the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. David Dolan had a report for us on the activities of those neighbors of the state of Israel as it relates to the re-election of Netanyahu as well. He talked about especially the Palestinians and the Jordanians. Now, you have to remember there's a mix in Jordan of Palestinians. About 75% of the population of Jordan is now Palestinian. And the king, King Abdullah, is a Hashemite. He comes out of Saudi Arabia, so he's having some difficulty, especially as he fights the Muslim Brotherhood and other elements in Jordan who do not want to have a good relationship with Israel. They want to destroy that peace treaty between Israel and Jordan. That's making it difficult there in Jordan. And the Palestinians, according to David, they're very much upset with the re-election of the prime minister. You know, the Palestinians are in Bible prophecy. They're going to be there even after that battle of Magog, which is at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. The only Muslims that will survive that battle would be the Iraqis and the Palestinians. The Iraqis will be, of course, 
the people who are referred to in prophecy in Revelation 18 as Babylon, literal Babylon, and the Palestinians, the ones referred to in the book of Malachi chapter 1, they will return, the Edomites, who was the founder of the Palestinian people, trace from Esau all the way up to the Palestinian people of today. Malachi 1 says they'll return and rebuild The Lord said, I'll call your borders the borders of wickedness. Ezekiel 35 says they'll kill the Jews and then indeed try to steal their land. And Obadiah says the end of the Palestinians comes when the Messiah, Jesus Christ, returns. That's why we have David Dolan report on the Middle East situation. John Rood talked to us about the European member states and their leaders somewhat split on the Netanyahu re-election. European Union is going to be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Now, into the future, during the tribulation period, revived Roman Empire, key in that seven-year period of time, especially as it relates to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Don DeYoung talked to us about the photo of the black hole. They were able to make that known to the world this week. We talked with Don about what is a black hole, how significant is it, what can we learn from it, and what does it mean for you and me today. And bottom line, the Lord God brought everything into existence through his son, Jesus Christ, who created everything, even black holes. Well, you don't want to miss that conversation. Elwood McQuaid and I stopped to remember the home going of Rennie Showers. Rennie had a life of teaching others and helping each of us, including me and Elwood, to understand the scriptures. David James and I talked about cultural wars where in a battle Christians must realize, and this battle is going to intensify as we come closer to the end times and what will happen according to the prophetic scriptures. In fact, the swan song of Paul, 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4, talk about that. 2 Timothy 3, all scripture given by inspiration of God, even the prophetic passages. Chapter 4, Paul says, preach the word. The time is coming to the end. His life was about over, but he was talking about the future as well. He said, I ran the race, fought the fight, kept the faith, and laid up for me as a crown of righteousness, but not for me only, for all who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's a great passage of Scripture. You need to read it later today, 2 Timothy chapters 3 and 4. All of the broadcast partners' reports are key for us realizing where we are in God's time. We're at the end of times. And everything we talked about with our broadcast partners today, tangible evidence of the fact that we're quickly approaching the time of God's next event on his calendar, that's the rapture of the church. And by the way, that rapture can happen at any moment. And having made that statement, there's nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 